Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Hi. Um, welcome to episode number... Is it the 25th? Mm, I know. Or yeah, because last time I said 24 hours straight, we recorded for it. Uh, who knows? We're so- That's kind of a celebration. Yeah, it's a celebration for sure. I didn't... Uh... I'll add a sound effect. No, we're at episode 24. Not yet. Don't party. Oh, no, but at the end of this episode, that means we'll have been uh, with each other for a full day. There are not yeah. very many people yeah. in this life that I can say that that's true about. <laughs> that you've worked on something? I, I no, that, I, that, I, yeah, that I've spent continuous hours. Well, yeah, people I work with, but I haven't been talking to them for 24 hours straight. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's great. <clears throat> yeah, it's a uh, it's a gift. Uh, it's a gift, Raphael. You're a gift. But we we should do something celebratory. Maybe a celebratory field recording for episode twenty five. Mm. You know, it'd be nice if, if we were actually together for our twenty fifth. What would be interesting is is uh, because we both never party, mm-hmm. and maybe if our listeners go to parties, maybe they can do a field recording at party. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because there's no way we'll be at. A party. I was supposed this to go to a, yeah. I was supposed to go to a party last night, but the last second, um, Kristen got uh, stomach problems. <laughs> like that's yeah, stupid. yeah, <laughs> like the tiniest <laughs> excuse. It's like yeah, I I I had to replace my insoles. No, yeah, I can't go. I have a foot ache. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I seem to have. Yeah, it's right. Because partying uh, at a certain point in my life, there there was nothing else. That was it. Was everything was just getting in the way of the party. But I was re- mm-hmm. I was really never into it. You mean like when you were five and it was all about the birthday party? <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I think like in your yeah. tw- in my twenties uh, for sure. Um, but I was never yeah. really that into it. I was be like, mm, my back kind of hurts, but everyone seems to be having fun. <laughs> this is sort of <laughs> yeah. I have a bunch of friends who still are really into partying. They just love it. It's funny, yeah, because when I meet people that are into recreational drugs or like partying and they're in their 30s like I am, I always, I'm like, what what went wrong? Like, or <laughs> I don't know. It's a terrible thing for me to think. But it's like, I don't, they just I don't have any answer. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't have any answer why getting stuff done is more fun than party. Of course, partying would be, f- I, I understand. I know. That, I know. It's because I'm just not good at parties. No, but yeah, because you think uh, you think that getting things done is a party. You're like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it's like who played? Well, I cut my to do list in half today. <laughs> yeah. It gives you the same feeling. There's a certain high to it, but uh, it can also get you low. No, but there's also people who are just really good at partying. Mm-hmm. They'll uh, people who are the light of the. That's party. what I'm saying, though. For them, it's a job. You know, like they're the they're yeah. the organizers. They put things together. Well, that's a weird thing I always noticed when people are really good at partying and then it becomes a job. It's, and, and you're like, and I'm, I'm really talking about people who organize club nights yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And, but that, but I, you would think that would take the fun out of it. Everything you enjoy, you, you know, the human spirit eventually finds a way to corrupt it. <laughs> yeah, this oh, the same thing. I, I used to live in Maastricht in the Netherlands and I think as an extremely high density of... Uh, cafes and restaurants and it's everyone's dream to open a cafe or mm. a restaurant mm-hmm. because they love going out to eat and they're like what could be better than running a restaurant <laughs> and then turns out it's not the same thing as just going out for a night yeah i think i've talked about that before on the podcast though there's this um this book called e-myth where you know you know you think that the thing you love is going to be a great job but when you do that you end up killing the thing you love yeah did you ever, you know, Calder, the, the sculptor? Yeah, yeah. Who makes the mobiles and not personally. Saw a documentary on him, and uh, he just seemed to have a lot of fun. Uh, 
I don't. I mean, his whole thing started with circus and puppets. So I think, you know, every artist has a different starting point. And mm-hmm. One artist might have the starting point of like World War Two. All my work is about pain and suffering, mm-hmm. and his work was about circus and movement and fun. Mm-hmm. And I think he just had a lot of fun his whole life. He just <laughs> was in his studio. I, I don't know. Like there's there's a few artists where you see their studio or their way of working and you. You don't get that same feeling from Malevich or Mondrian. I mean, that's my philo- my philosophy is definitely make sure you're having fun. I, I used to say I used to have a tagline, didn't really catch on, but you know, it's not worth doing if you're if it's not fun, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't remember the tagline because I, I didn't use it very <laughs> often, but you know, if you're not having fun, it's not worth doing. I think is a good way to to think about things, but. Um, every once in a while, there's the other tagline: if if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. Oh, really? I should I should I, I should have known from, about that. Uh, from rap music. <laughs> okay, if only I knew that one. Instead of the other one. <laughs> Maybe I'd be in more successful position. Um, but you know, it's a good segue into um, I think what we're going to talk about today, um, which is you know a lot of the times I'm not I'm not partying. I'm I'm at home, and what do I end up doing? But kind of looking for the party on the internet. <laughs> well, there's the other thing where partying becomes a, a stage to take photos. Yeah, this... To add to the game of uh, the online ranking. Yeah, this, uh, the concept of like this fear of missing out. So even though, you know, you don't oh, want yeah, to go, so you don't want to go to the party, but you're willing to tune into the party online um, or live yeah. through... You don't, you don't really want to go on jet skis, but it's going to make a great selfie. Yeah, exactly. And there seems to be, I don't know, here, what's your opinion on this, just to get things started, which is when I'm looking at what other people are doing, usually it's on Instagram or Facebook. Um, do do you live vicariously through it or do you like the fear of missing out is almost, I think, maybe better characterized as like uh, resentment or jealousy or something like that? Yeah, I, I'm usually not uh, for personal things. I'm not so I'm not competitive when it comes to personal life where I think like, oh, somebody else seems to have a, such a fun life. But I do get that feeling where other artists are doing really well and you're like, damn it, why is it that? Mm-hmm. So that, like, I think it's a professional tool and it, maybe slightly motivating. Sometimes you see something great and you're like, oh, that's a really good insight. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I think we're both talking about Instagram. It's just an envy machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I use it in in fits and starts, and I'm not very. I have to say, like, I don't I don't control it. Like, I'm not um, I'm not like Amelia Ullman. I'm not making performances on there. I'm kind of just documenting my life. It's a little bit more like this podcast yeah. for me. You would think, as a performance artist, that it, it would be a great tool for you because your body is your your brush. No, you're, and, you're absolutely right. But I feel like. Um, I just needed an outlet to share photos. Like, I well, like maybe I could have a separate account. Maybe if if we take a few steps back, yeah, we both like the internet. That's for sure. And we both started before social media. Or did you start? You started with YouTube. Yeah, I started. Well, I had a website before I had YouTube, and I put videos on that website. And it was only when YouTube yeah, came. And, and you were definitely online already before social media. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I was. Yeah, I was yeah. on like different forums and things like that. Um, because the title and the subject of this episode is online presence. Mm-hmm. So, online presence started with websites. Or web pages or whatever. Yeah. I guess with e- email, but and mailing lists, 
And slowly, different tools were added. That's right. And, and, and that changed the character of, of online presence. Because I, I think before social media, online presence was very nerdy. You needed to know the tools. Mm -hmm. And after social media, it just became online presence is close to celebrity culture. Yeah. It's almost the same thing. But even thing. before, like YouTube and stuff, um, LiveJournal was a really big thing. And li so there, there But that's already a ready-made tool. I'm talking about oh, yeah, way, way before, before that. people handed... Mm -hmm. it, when you had to hand code your pages yeah. and upload them. Uh, yeah. So back in the 90s, though, I had a, a website uh, for... I think I've talked about it before about your new kids on the block fan site yeah that's right no <laughs> i was a professional uh in my teens I, i was designing interfaces really like ridiculous uh alien looking skins for mp3 players so i had that website is still up my first website what was your first website actually i had a free website with the i think it was called tripod oh yeah i remember tripod i had it i had yeah i did have a tripod Uh, and then yeah. I moved it to a hosted... Because, I, I, I mean, the, the web started for me making pages on your computer, and I d didn't know how to put them on the internet yet. So I made a few pages with some animated GIFs and some different tests and photos. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to find hosting, and I was... I didn't really want to buy hosting yet and mm -hmm. seem complicated, so I just got free hosting. What's and the, the free the free hosting came with a banner. That was the downside. Well, these hosting companies, it's crazy, right? Um, you, once you have one, you kind of don't ever let go of it. Like, it's such a pain to move from one host to the yeah, other yeah. next. So I still no. have the host from the 90s. Seed <laughs> <laughs> into web hosting. I think they've been bought like 25 times. Like, I don't know what their name is anymore. And I remember there was a time where, like, your web host name would change every year because they were all buying each other yeah. up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the, the dust kind of settled, yeah. and it's, uh, like, three main parties now. Yeah, like, I'm on DreamHost now, and it hasn't changed in, like, five years. And and your first web page, did you have a photo of yourself? Uh, yeah, there was a photo, uh, like, but I, like, photoshopped it because I was really young. Because I always thought, I mean, it's really normal in social media that you see a photo of the person you're talking to. So it made sense that in your first online presence, there was some avatar representation, like, yeah. hi, welcome to my homepage. And I just remembered something, some though. I had a website before this. It's a traumatic experience, though. <laughs> So b before that, uh, the, the brand, my branded site, I created a site for my friends and I called GroupX. It's like group and then EX. And at the time, do you remember in the 90s, there was this like trend uh, towards like stock trading, like bands and stuff like that. Like there were these like little stock markets you could trade in music, pop culture, different mm. things. It was like a kind of pre... So kind of pre... Pre Kickstarter? No, it was precursor to social media because it was all fictional. It was like it was like uh, it oh, was like okay. fan. Um, what do they call that? Like fantasy football, but with yeah. bands. And I was like, "What if I did that with my friends? <laughs> what if you could like buy and sell in friends?" Um, and so I thought, my friends and I will have our own website. It'll be like a forum. So I like installed a forum. And the idea would be like I'd install plugins, like you could install plugins on this forum tool that I was using. What, what was the tool for the? Forum? I think I was using remember? like a really early version of Drupal or something like that. Okay. I was really into PHP and stuff at that age. Like yeah. somehow I was better at the web than I am now. 
<laughs> I think that's a lot of people. Yeah, like mm. I could do almost anything. I'd be like, hmm, wouldn't it be interesting if you could send like, you know, a video postcard to a friend? I actually built that tool too. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, this tool would like, it, you could like socialize and the more you participated in the, the network, the greater your value on this like fictional stock exchange would uh, become. And so it was like kind of a gossip building tool, but like a way of getting my friends and I excited to talk to one another and share topics. But, you know, it was really crazy. The reason it was traumatic, um, GroupX became this site for, like, my first experience with hacking. And one of the members, like, I guess was a hacker. <laughs> like, one of the, like, because new people mm -hmm. joined my group of friends. And so... Because all that code was kind of fragile. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know about that. I was like, it seems secure to me. It has a password. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them, like, just figured out how to, like, take over identities and stuff. And he started, like, calling me a pig and making fun of me because I was, like, the leader of this site. And so, you know, it was like... And it, but it was very traumatic, I remember, because, like, my identity felt insecure for the first time on the internet. Yeah, so, so, so basically humans' personalities are exaggerated online yeah but i was like that that led into another experience with a girlfriend with hacking and uh so my <laughs> that's why i say it's all traumatic anyway where like i i no longer believe that my anything i did on the internet uh was private and so i had no. that like very young age i became aware that the internet was a very public and vulnerable place and also pl and normally it's like your parents t teach you that lesson <laughs> <laughs> it's like my horrible teenage friends. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think in general, um, the internet is a knowledge repository and then it's a representation of the users. Mm -hmm. And so the knowledge repository, if you're a scientist and you're putting up papers, would, would you call that online presence or... Are we talking more about like well, that's why pictures I, that, of your dog and pictures of your food? But that's why I think it's more for me anyway in terms of my characterization of the internet and and what's become, you know, I guess the focus of my work is really it's it's an extension of your identity, right? So it's a sort of cybernetic extension or re-representation of your identity. Um, in in in. Yeah, I always felt like uh, making art that happens online. Mm -hmm. So there's a big difference between p making a portfolio website of paintings or making work specifically for the internet. And then I just felt like that's if you make work specifically for the internet, you're uploading yourself, but mm -hmm. in a yeah. in a web compatible form. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're sort of. Um... And I guess it's the same for people who use social media as their main medium. Yeah, I think that they're reaching. Or, you know, the tendrils of their identity are reaching into the machine. They're trying to take or grasp yeah. control. But it, it, it's just um, when you make internet art, uh, browser-based pieces, but you own the domain mm -hmm. name and you, you control that, I think it has more longevity than if you rely on a social media. And, and not only that you rely on that social media to exist, but also that, that social media stays the way it is mm -hmm. because... The medium changes and then the work doesn't make sense anymore. So it's very temporary. Yeah. So, but I guess that's I fine. mean, you know, like professionally, things always started out as a, you mentioned the portfolio website, right? And so this is like, yeah. it's fun just to talk about that for a second because it's still a, like a kind of a problem that people have, right? Um, well, yeah, it, it, I think there's a, such a long tradition of artist books mm -hmm. and catalogs. Yeah. Uh, but then the website is this thing where 
If you're a really cool artist, you're not even supposed to have a website. You just have books. Oh, is that right? You're supposed. Oh, it's supposed to be your Except, gallery website. Yeah, but then if you're a few steps beyond, like a Damien Hirst, then it's okay to have a very complete sort of encyclopedic <laughs> website. But but when you're young and you spend so much time on your website in your portfolio, it. I think in some circles it's considered. It, it depends on the artist, but um, I stopped uh, putting all my work on my website about three or four years ago. Why was that? that that's what I mean. This this kind of why was that? Because it looked ridiculous. <laughs> like, okay. Because like I've done hundreds of things, and so well, that's maybe that in between stage where it, it um, if you do it when you're seventy five and it's the, mm-hmm. the Jeremy Bailey anthology. Then it makes sense, but maybe now it's too early for an overview. Yeah, it was also like cringeworthy because like the way I wrote statements early on or the way I described my work was, you know, not great. And so it was doing more, in my opinion, more harm than good. But that's but that's kind of what the, the beauty of uh, mm-hmm. controlling that is that you can edit. You can leave out the text and just show the videos. Yeah. Or, but there's like it just creates anxiety because I'm like editing this page, redoing. It's like how many times do I have to redo this website was also my thing. Yeah, um, and so I think you know, I don't know. Now I have a one-page website, which has become kind of a standard format, like basically an about.me page, but um, just hosted myself. Yeah, uh, but I, I think there's a big range of uh, the way artists use the web, from someone whose work solely exists on the web to someone who is completely anti-web and they have a strategy to be as invisible as possible, which is kind of hard. Also, that's even that's worse. Like, are there any artists like that though that are just like anti-presence on the internet? That you're saying there are? Oh yeah, yeah of course. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of artists who won't put their work on YouTube because they think it's too corporate. Well, this is the and thing. Then, yeah, and then they'll put it on Ubu, maybe. Oh, Ubu web. You can't put stuff on Ubu web though, can you? Oh, they yeah, they put it for you. So then. That's like a, a a decision with a little classier. Yeah, I mean, if UberWeb was uh, kind enough to include me <laughs> within their archive, <laughs> I, yeah, I would just shut things down. Well, I, I remember, I, I never know. Like when I talk about those artists, I, I that that are too cool to have a website. I think uh, Hito Sterl is an example. Mm. I don't even know if she has a website, but it. I was always interested in. Um, there's a lot of artists who think like the, there's a. Income inequality is a big problem, mm-hmm. and there's a class division. But then they decide to always work within the gallery ecosystem mm-hmm. and only show their work on Ubu Web, which is also elitist. <laughs> so I tweeted at at Hito Stell, I was like, "Why are your videos not online?" And she's like, "Oh, I think they are." And then <laughs> nice. Later, she tweeted, "Oh, I guess they're not." But she's just so busy doing biennials that uh, she forgot about the people. Yeah, well, Hito, I had one exchange with her where I. Uh, I asked her, like, should the artist take responsibility for their own work? And uh, she said, absolutely not. And I was, like, shocked and disgusted. Mm -hmm. And and her, you know, I mean, she had a political point of view. So that's why I found it confusing, um, because her work is, like, socially... But I I don't even know specifically her work, but just a lot of people right now are writing about, like, the market is uh, too crazy, and people are doing this formal painting, and uh, we we should talk about issues that appeal to us and, and art for us and not just as decoration for rich people and so when we talk about online presence I always thought mm. that there is a very important component to making your work accessible but I also heard that like a lot of collectors now 30% apparently according to Artsy <laughs> uh, shop through Instagram you know or they follow 
artists, the private. Yeah, artists. yeah, but that doesn't mean that the work is available mm-hmm. uh, for free. Right, but I think that so one of the things about not having a website, I think, is you're right, is around this elitism or mystique that people are trying to create. Yeah. Right, so it's like yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't see it. Not too eager. And also like something I've talked about before, which is like I don't document my performance works and post them online because I think that that would be a betrayal of uh, being there in person. And mm-hmm. but you did make a few YouTube. No, but those are made before. for YouTube. So like, if I'm going to yeah. make something on the for the internet, it's going to be for the internet. Um, and I'm not yeah. sure if uh, that's like an elitist uh, position. Did you? But did you ever feel like uh, there's a problematic uh, component to corporate? Uh, is there a problem with YouTube being owned by Google and ads and all that stuff, or it's fine? Yeah, no, it is totally problematic. And I think we talked about that before where it's problematic if the artist is not considering it as a part of the work, in my opinion. And so if he, I can, if he do it. But in your, in your case, because you, uh, I understand that you don't want to put documentation of performances because first of all, it's totally boring. It's really hard to film a performance. (laughs) Yeah. So you made YouTube pieces and you, you made less YouTube pieces later, but was there anything where it's like Uber where you like, YouTube just became mm. gross. Uh, well, I think YouTube. So I've, I, so I used to actually, mon- and I do still monetize my videos on YouTube because I wanted ads to appear on top of the videos and things like that. Um, so YouTube to me has always been a commercial context from day one, uh, and mm. it, it it does help me. Like, well, the other the other thing is I'm I'm doing projects now where I use advertising banners. Um, and different advertising technologies as performance contexts. Um, like I have this project called the U Museum that uses ad retargeting, which is that kind of advertising that follows you yeah. around using cookies. And it's so funny that I, I always have ad blockers installed, and then sometimes for a project like yours, I'll I'll whitelist the site. Oh. And all of a sudden, I see the internet the way it's for most people. Yeah. Like, holy shit. <laughs> and all these targeted targeted ads are so crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, I was just looking at a teapot. And now, like, every newspaper you go to has ads for teapots. Yeah, and I don't understand why um, more people aren't using that. You know, so if the internet has become a, a mall or is... Well, it's basically just like it mirrors the world outside of itself, right? So the physical world is just as full of advertising. Yeah, or even amplifies it. Yeah, amplifies yeah. it. Yeah, and of course, software has less friction to amplification. So, but I'm not. I'm surprised. I mean, I know there are artists working within these contexts, but um, if it's a commercial context, it's like a great place to talk about commercial conflict, right? And mm-hmm. a great place to talk about. Um, yeah, and so Instagram is a great place to talk about. Uh, Food pictures. Well, I mean, I, I mentioned Amelia earlier, and I do think she was really brilliant to to see that Instagram was um, this place for uh, women, especially, to talk about their bodies and to do a performance. Uh, and she did this mm-hmm. performance for those that don't know. Um, what is it? It's something in perfections. What's the full title of that work? Ooh, I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, where she performed the act of getting cosmetic surgery, right? Um, and yeah. didn't reveal it until the end. Now, I don't know how many times you can do that before, you know, people 
are onto it, but she built up a, a legitimate following. I remember being a friend of hers and being worried about her, right? Like I kind of I fell for it. <laughs> you didn't see. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're so good. Yeah. You're just too nice. <laughs> too nice. Even though I'm a performer, I was like, God, are you okay? What's going on with Amelia? <laughs> she seems to be going through a lot of like, uh, you know, trauma, and you know, I think she might be depressed, and now she's getting. Do you surgery. think that that a big a big part of the success was that people believed it? Um, I, yeah, I think like that was the, the, the because I, it's a bit like a what's that guy M Night Shyamalan M Night Shyamalan. It's so funny you said that M- because I got it wrong with Kristen the other day. She, yeah. she made. But whenever you see his movies yeah. and you already know the plot twist, there's no way of watching. It. Like somebody, I went into to see The Sixth Sense and somebody had already told me oh, <laughs> the main guy is dead. Right. Well then, and then the movie is just unwatchable. So I don't know if it's the same thing mm, with with uh, with online presence when you uh, when you're like, oh, I'm 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 fooling you. You think I'm doing something, but I'm doing it with a twist. And then if you already yeah, if you see through that, you can't do well, that. Well, you you're telegraphing a crit- critical distance, right? So there are two positions yeah. that you can have within any work of art. One is within the work, and I'm one so is tired of the word critical. Yeah, well, one is a critical. Oh. Yeah, okay. So what's the opposite? <laughs> Let's like unpack the word critical for a my, second. My word is enthusiastic. It's funny so that you say it. <laughs> if you're a YouTube enthusiast. I just put like pepper critical through any statement I write. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. because It's it, not context, it, it's critical I think people context. use the word because it, it it makes you it makes you sound like oh i've really considered this i didn't just fall for it right yeah yeah it means i'm asked, i'm willing to ask difficult questions i'm it, my problem with the word critical it, it's the same now every technology movie every sci-fi movie is is doom and gloom and i like it when you're like oh that's cool let's do something and uh, oh spaceships are cool uh, mm-hmm. Lasers are cool. I, I, I don't know what, but not like oh, AI is going to eat us. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. So you're you're yeah. into so, the spectacle is what you're interested in. I mean, I'm into excitement and enthusiasm, mm-hmm. as <laughs> yeah, as they say in art criti- critical art circles, the spectacle. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know. Anyway, w- well, I think with that piece, uh, it it gave me a greater appreciation that she committed. People always ask me this too, right? Like how committed are you to your persona? Like, yeah. And so as a performer, there's some kind of value attached to, you know, it's like the Andy Kaufman story, I guess, where, you know, Andy Kaufman for, you know, for his whole career kind of stayed in character and people were never sure who he was. Um, or Andy Warhol. Or Warhol. Right. And so you're Jeff Koons is the one where I really can't figure out if he's, playing a role or not because he I feel like he started a role and he's just what's that thing there's a myth that if you say something at midnight your face gets stuck or something do you, do you know that story for ki- they tell kids don't make funny faces because oh, yeah, your face yeah. will get stuck mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like Jeff Koons like played the salesman slick guy and then it hit <laughs> the, the the clock hit 12 and he's just stuck well, in I think it. that because uh... it's really you, have you seen him saying stuff like the world is perfect. Everything yeah. is absolutely perfect. That's really hard to say. It's like, oh, look at these refugee <laughs> pictures and the kids stuff. The world is perfect. Well, yeah, you're like, yeah. So actually, when I was in grad school, it's funny because I was warned <laughs> by my teachers. I remember because I was in the, I was really into postmodernism when I was in school and into sort of psychological loops or reloop, like redoubling. Yeah. And so, you know, when you become a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of yourself or something like that. And yeah. my teachers would be like, watch out. I had a friend once and he never got back out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. But it, it, it's like people always say Andy Warhol was the master of interviews. Like he would throw back answers. Mm-hmm. But when I see interviews, he just 
it, it's really apparent to me that he's just playing a role and he's just kind of being bitchy mm-hmm. and uh, it, it yeah so you don't fall for it I mean I love his work but I don't think the interviews but like, he really predicted this online presence thing yeah yeah well he said you know everyone was going to have their 15 minutes of fame and I can't remember who said recently but in the last couple of years Andy Warhol just didn't know every, people were going to want it every day you know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah we live in a world now of uh, yeah and Cindy Sherman predicted a lot of yeah. things the selfie but so th- that might be an interesting tangent of uh, when we think of online presence, the, the conversation is kind of going to personas, and then we can think of the artist persona before. Yeah, yeah, online. yeah. Well, so that's the thing. So I would always. I mean, when you think of people like Dali, and uh, who knows, maybe Rembrandt was very. Uh, or I think Caravaggio was very dramatic and a, a crazy person. And I think that that's what online presence is, though, for me, is this um, performing the self, I often say, right? So it's like. Uh, it's you're aware of your reflection right if it's this externalization of your identity then you're looking at the when you look at your your presence online it's almost like looking in a mirror but that's a it's kind of a mirror that's a fragmented data but mirror it, and but i i think in the case of the, something like this the podcast you you start out a little bit with a decision how you want things to go but you can't really keep that up and at some point you you're not thinking anymore and you're just do you know what no, I mean? Yeah, like of course. The whole that's why this, so the, that's why the format of this podcast for me is really important. That it's not planned because you know that the yeah. less organized it is, the better for me. Because I have other. If I don't just totally let go of control, then I will try and control it. You know, based on my uh, my yeah, performance yeah. career. But that's maybe my question with the 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 personality mm-hmm. and, the, and the the performing your personality. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point are you just? talking and at what point are you playing a role that is my life that's my life's work you know to try and answer that question but and i think that that you know more and more that's become the popular context for everyone to think about right like um when are you living and when are you performing when is the machine using you or when are you using the tool i think it's very interesting this this quote i think it was sachi like there are only artists there are no artworks like mm-hmm. artworks are just things that that just fell off someone's shoulder but it's really the artist and so yeah that's really interesting there's something to that with with online specifically where um well i i think as i get older i'm, I'm more and more interested if i find an artist to see what their life is like mm-hmm. what decisions they make to how they arrange their life is very interesting to me yeah, and I think like, so someone, you know, off in work, in my work life, people often talk about work-life balance, right? You hear this all the time. Yeah, that doesn't exist in art, though, that, because everything Yeah, and then like the CEO at my company was talking to me the other day, and, you know, he has a particularly difficult work-life balance. And he's like, you know what, Jeremy? It's actually, you know, my new thing is work-life integration. And at first I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. But then it was like... It's no, it's like, it, it's, it should just be work life. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. there is nothing else. There's just I, work I, life. I, I always go to, um, I, I don't know if this is going to sound racist, mm-hmm. but I always go to Japanese hairdressers. I think they're the best. Why is that racist? I just have... They're good at what they do. They I have the best, know. you know, all the best. I'm just, no. I'm, I'm really, I'm really paranoid. I have no, no. a, a sense of, the, of humor and I'm really paranoid to say stuff on this podcast <laughs> and being chastised. Well, by that Shyamalan the, thing that you PC said police. earlier, was, that yeah. was pretty bad. But let me tell <laughs> yeah, yeah. the scissors, the best scissors in the world are all made in Japan. If you talk to any hairstylist, they'll tell you, you know, the best blades okay. come from Japan. Anyway, I, I, whenever you move to a new city, you have to find a new hair person, which is hard. Well, yeah, if you can afford it. The only way to try is to try mm-hmm. 
And then if it's a bad haircut, you're stuck with it for a month. That's yeah. I have a very intimate relationship. So with I went. My here's where it gets it, it gets bigoted or racist or whatever. But I, I <laughs> okay, really don't you, like. Thank you American, for announcing that. <laughs> I really don't like American barbershop oh, culture. Okay. Like I went in there and it's like all these tattooed guys <laughs> and they're playing. Talk about pre- online presence or, or performing. Hey, you're busting my balls. Blah, 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 blah. And they're playing this role. They're, they're clearly not that person. And you're like, where's my champagne? Where are my ladies? Yeah, where, but well, they're all, my they all cut hair. No, but the, the, the point is they all cut hair with clippers. Oh, yeah. It's just like... With a shave, you call it? shaving like, uh, yeah, device. Yeah, the, the electric razor, mm-hmm. whatever thing. It's like you, you go into the military and just like, okay, sit still, <laughs> bzz, yeah, done. You could do that at home. And I like... My, my Japanese hairdresser will... They do this thing where they cut the sides of your mm-hmm. head and then brush the hair out so it sticks out and then take a really big brush with talc powder and really gently uh, go right past the hair and the hairs that are a little bit too long will light up because oh. they have the talc powder and then cut. That's the kind of detail I mean. Like, <laughs> it's like artwork. Um, yeah, I pay too much to have my hair cut as well. And I'm often like, maybe I should just get like, what was that thing with the vacuum cleaner and the razor? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The flow yeah. something or other. Flow B. <laughs> maybe I should get that. Yeah. Which is a, why, why did I want to talk about Japanese? I don't characters? know. Probably because you wanted to segue into our new segment uh, for this uh, podcast, our new advertising segment. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. So we actually, let's just give some setup here. Should we? Should we? Should we start with a little setup? No, no, just read read the copy. We've been su- supplied copy by one of our sponsors. Okay, we have a new sponsor. Uh, okay, let's let this is the the point in the podcast where we take a break to uh, to talk about. Uh, <laughs> Don't be nervous. <laughs> okay, here we go. You know what I get sick of? No, what obsolescence? It seems like things break all the time because. <laughs> So much of my old performance software runs terribly on my new MacBook. I feel your pain, man. Don't even get me started about Flash. Yeah, it's a really sad situation. And there's no one who is going to help us with that stuff. Galleries certainly don't seem to care. Not sure about collectors. Well, actually, guess what? There is someone now who can help. What? Who? Well, you know Benfino Radin? Yeah, totally. We met back when he worked at Rhizome. He works at MoMA now, right? No, he left MoMA, and he started a media conservation studio based in New York called Small Data Industries. What? That's amazing! I know! They're providing services to art collectors, artists, institutions to support the collection, exhibition, preservation, and storage of time-based media art. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Sounds complicated. Yep. Thank goodness we don't have to deal with that anymore. Totally. Where can I find out more? When did I become this, like, surfer dude? Anyway, keep going. (laughs) Why on the World Wide Web, of course. Smalldata.industries. Cool. (laughs) I'm going to email him right now. Yeah. That's so this will be in the show notes. It, it, <laughs> all jokes aside, Ben Fino started a company and uh, everybody should check it out. It's uh, very interesting and it will be useful to a lot of our listeners. Yeah, anyone who's got a problem with technology. Well, we just talked about it. Anyway, so thank you, Ben, for, incl- for uh, giving us our first sponsored ad. 
Uh, actually, yeah, well, <laughs> and he didn't pay for it. <laughs> you know what I think would be a great service here? I'm going to put it out here because we ask our audience a lot of stuff, but just like, just keep giving us free ads until uh, someone with... Yeah, anyone who wants to, something advertised, just send it and if we'll, we'll consider yeah, it. Yeah, because, you know, no one else is paying us. And, and the rule is you have to write the copy. We just read yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Raphael actually wasn't sure about this copy. He's like, Jeremy, this sounds really cheesy. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, that's no, makes it good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for uh, tolerating that. But it's funny that uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go for it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where we were because I I had a reason why I brought up the haircuts, but I really oh god, I'm sorry. Well, I thought that this was a good tie into like so. There's organic uh, web presence, right? There's the web presence that you just do by existing on the internet. That's like social media and stuff like that. Like just by being yourself. And then there's like more explicit. Actions. Oh, no, no, no. I remember oh, okay. now. I remember now because we were talking about work life. balance. Oh, yeah. And so this, uh, Japanese hairdresser told me a story that there was one of the last samurai or descendant of a samurai family, very right wing, old school Japanese guy. And there was a new law in the 60s or 70s that uh, Japanese people should have two weeks of vacation every year. And he was like, no, no, that's the end of the world. No, vacation that's going to kill this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like a, like a tyrannical... Uh, but their idea, the whole Japanese way of living would be that every day is a little bit of vacation and work or your work should be so enjoyable and you should be so, you should be so good at it that you don't need vacation. Mm. So you should be your 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 life should be fulfilling, and uh, your work should have a physical component, and it should have a mental component, and uh, all those things. So you don't have to put time in for sports, and put time in for vacation, and put time. It uh, the work itself should be complete. It should it should provide you with everything you need. Yeah, not just yeah. The, and I think the, you're, m- the money you get. You're at lucky the end. if you find that. Of course, there's all kinds of. But that's I I think that's the point I'm I'm making with being interested in in. Mm. Um, how artists live because some artists decide to live in the country and mm. uh, swimming is part of their work that's where they get the ideas or some artists decide to live in the city and walking around the city is part of the work and mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was getting at and that's what I'm getting at with the, the online presence that it's an extension of the work it's not a promotion of the mm. work yeah yeah uh, yeah exactly and I, yeah I think that's a good way of thinking about it and that, so what I always get leaning into is like yeah there are, there's past there are different ways that people consume the internet or, or a part become a part of it one is like passive through social media then they become self-aware right the self-awareness step is the first trigger um, you know if you start to lean into can you explain that a little bit well yeah so if you're just like taking pictures and posting them on Facebook you're and not thinking about it you're probably a teenage uh you know teenager of some of some type you're just like yeah this would be funny um but then like very soon you become aware of of yourself and what you've posted because there's a reaction right there's this sort of action and then there's a reaction and 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 like i said early in my teenage years that reaction was negative like people you know took my Mm. identity hostage um but it's also a continuous conversation because you you keep going in and out of being aware yeah yeah exactly um and some people of course are more or less aware like it seems like donald trump's completely unaware but i might add i might actually argue that someone like him is is just he's just totally become persona right like he's he's absorbed or consumed by the media uh, yeah yeah yeah. um and he's not self-aware persona he's sort of like the opposite which is like he's the audience is is actually his (laughs) he's not very critical it's a lot of (laughs) (laughs) yeah well this is what there are two ways you can go so one way is like you try and take control right 
and then you know you you perform the self and it's your persona and you're in control you don't let an, other people define your identity and this is like kind of like an you know an, an issue in sort of coming of age story for everyone or the opposite sometimes is true where you let your audience define who you are um, and then you begin to perform you know what your audience wants to see from you of course if you perform yourself really well you'll attract an audience that reflects who you are um, but we all are sort of negotiating this at all times. Uh, I, I, but it, for, for you, for example, does social media feel like a chore? Um, uh, it depends. Like, I'll tell you, Facebook does uh, because it's just it's too exhausting in the comments, to be honest with you. Like, uh, yeah, that's why I don't. Even... <laughs> I think that's a, if I sometimes tips are corny mm. but the, there's one tip i think it was seth godin yeah you know that i mean talk about online well yeah that's it yeah i was that's what i was trying to lean into especially with like uh, ben's ad read but like let's talk about yeah. online marketing but yeah let's seth yeah so but, seth godin but is one of one of the things guru, he says right? was that you don't have to be good at all the social media if you're just good at one that's mm -hmm. fine oh did he say that yeah like he he doesn't actively use twitter or facebook He just does the blog. That's right, his right, thing. right. He blogs and he blogs every day. And so maybe someone else is really great at YouTube. That doesn't mean you also have to make funny puns. on. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. He's, what he's talking about too there, um, if you were to use marketing language, is like you only need to be good at one channel at a time. So, you know, the, the, yeah. every channel, a channel is just a path between you and an audience or another person, really, if you want to think about it literally. I feel like there's a... I struggle with this a lot. There's a <clears throat> when you talk about the mystique of an artist. Mm -hmm. There's when your work is not acknowledged, you feel like you want to reach out to people and emphasize. Well, did you really look at my work? You, it's really great. Just look at it again, and then you can get to the point where you start explaining stuff, or you start explaining through someone mm -hmm. else. Like, can you write a text about mm -hmm. this? Right, um, right. Like, and that's kind of part of online presence where maybe by a lot of people by the articles they're sharing they're trying to hey look at yeah, me i'm actually but that's where you, a well-read that's person. where you started this podcast right it's either an information repository or otherwise known as like an index or database that you you, th you can think yeah. of the internet that way or you can think of it as like i said this extension of yourself or a, a site for performance or context for making work in which case it's no longer yeah. an index index it's an organism yeah Well, when we say context, you can also use the word branding, but I think a lot of what art is, is you want to associate with, with intellectual heavyweights. Mm -hmm. that, oh, I see. I, th I think you're trying to, because That's one way everybody, makes, your value. everybody makes, makes culture, everybody can make drawings in, in, mm -hmm. uh, in a drawing app on their iPad, but then the differentiator is... The context is the, the the people that acknowledge that you are worth something, mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of people, I guess, use online presence to add intellectual weight. Yeah, but let's talk about like other strategies. So, because in a branding context, if you're just starting a brand from scratch, um, and you're going to choose to do something on the internet, this is me going to my advertising roots. What you really would want to do is do the opposite of what everyone else is doing to stand out, right? So, mm -hmm. and also I'm, I'm thinking of you as really like um, an artist who associates with a lot of pop artists. We've mentioned a few on the podcast already today, but like, you, you know, the idea of associating with the institution is less relevant to that artist, right? They, they're, they're creating an institution around their identity 
right? That everyone can understand, right? Like, so Andy Warhol performed outside of an institutional context in a lot of ways, right? He reinvented. Yeah. I feel like the street artists are really good at doing that. Social media. Yeah, they, they probably are. Actually, do you? Yeah, I don't know if there's like a Banksy. Uh, maybe that's Ryder Rips, actually. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not but him. like, it's like uh, JR and. Right, right, right. And, uh, cause and all those guys they have been masters at social media yeah so uh, but about bringing the physical world into the online world but i wonder if there's someone that started in the online context or maybe that's a lot of people we know uh, pewdiepie <laughs> that's, well you know actually it's an interesting you know case where those people their identity is built on their fan base right like pewdiepie's uh, mm-hmm. whole identity is built on uh, yeah and, th- and that's interesting because that's such a numbers game it's like the more people the mm-hmm. better and in the art world, it's it's uh, it's not about absolute numbers, but it's about the quality of the viewers. Yeah, you know, we were putting up our, our we put up a website this week, goodpointpodcast.com, and uh, Raph and I didn't put very much effort into it. So if you visit, <laughs> don't be disappointed. But as we're designing it, you're selling it so hard. <laughs> huh? I, we put up a logo on it. Like I, you know, I took some time and and re- Let, let's talk about marketing. Like let's just rewind and be like. All right, guys, <laughs> we brainstormed for about seven years and we came up with the best website. It's going to change the game. You're not going to see the Internet the same way ever again. Oh, yes, this website. Uh, con- yes, from the... Yeah, you won't... You might... Oh, no, but looked- there's actually a cool factoid about the logo. It was made with the font Times New Ramen, which was made by Ryder Rips. Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. Now... It's a noodly version of Times Here's New Ramen. Here's a question about Ryder, actually. So so he has a... <laughs> talk about online presence. <laughs> yes, talking about online presence, yeah. <laughs> he has a website up actually for this typeface that we both visited. And it's fun. Uh, he has a quote from uh, I can't remember um, which rap artist uh, does he have up on there. Do you remember? No, you can look. Uh, it hang up. on, you're going to hear me typing typing here. Times New Ramen, and it's a really squiggly font. I think that's why it's called Times New. Oh, right, from Kendrick Lamar. So he says, you know, the first thing you see when you land on the website for timesnewramen.com is Times New Ramen. It's a very cool font. I really like it, Kendrick Lamar. And there's Kendrick Lamar with ramen behind him, and then it's like Times, and it's all squiggly and like wavy. I was into like wave typefaces for our logo because um, Raphael originally conceived of our podcast as like the sun on SoundCloud over the water. And I thought, oh, the sun, it's all this heat. It makes things melt. And then the waves in the water, they make things ripple. And so it should have this kind of like look of evaporation or uh, heat waves. Anyway. Yeah, now we're selling the website. Now I'm, now I'm super, yeah, but... Because <laughs> I'm sure by this, at this point, it, like, hmm, what does that logo look like? It's interesting. Right, like, right. In a podcast, you describe a logo, and maybe it looks way cooler than it actually well, is. Be like, oh, nudely. This is not a nice-looking typeface, but... Uh, and I found nicer ones by, like, Linotype and stuff, like, people like that had actually exquisitely designed... A, no, this is raw. This is a raw typeface. There is no kerning going on. Like, it, it almost as if he just had it auto-generated... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's perfect because uh, our podcast is really imperfect. <laughs> yeah, but where were we? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny also to talk about Ryder, I think, because and persona and online presence because he's someone who's made a reputation for being um, a you know like a uh, enfant terrible, which would be like a he's always getting himself into trouble on the internet and associating himself with celebrity instead of institutions. So the inst- it's funny because institutions, including I think. 
myself as an institution <laughs> have at various times written Ryder off uh, as like being a misogynist or a racist in all kinds of ways because of different projects he's had online. And then other times he's done really brilliant work. And so he's always navigating that almost uh, as like a, as part of his persona. And um, I don't know, the, the first time I met Ryder is interesting. It's it, I'll, We'll put a bunch of links in the, in the show notes to him because when I met him, I remember it was at iBeam and uh, he was like making a huge mural of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> like it was like <laughs> 10 stories tall. <laughs> And he's like, I'm just really glad to see you here, Jeremy. Like, it was the first time we had met in person off of the internet. And he was like a young guy yeah. at that time. And I was pretty young, but I still think I was his senior. I think he's, you know, he's a much bigger celebrity than even me now. But um, yeah, he... What, what's funny to me is that he, he's always provoking online. And then later he's upset that people respond. Well, I just wanted to tell the story. Oh, they're all ganging up on me. He's like, what do you well, think? Well, I wanted to tell the story because like I performed <laughs> at this event. Uh, and I have to apologize. We haven't done very well with the podcast. It's totally disorganized. It's all over the place. But I performed at this event and I played this. It was it was when my persona was still coming into being. So people didn't really know what I, who I was. Like I just met Ryder for the first time in person. And so I performed my persona. But at one point in the performance, it's this performance where the audience has to like help me uh, control this like uh, software that I wrote and I get really angry at the audience like Andy Kaufman kind of angry for them not doing a good enough job and uh, and I thought this was hilarious <laughs> no one in the audience got the joke <laughs> including Ryder and other people that were like <laughs> you were too you, your role was too convincing no, yeah I know but now I realize that this is like a moment in my career that was a downfall actually <laughs> I, re I realized actually quickly after because it like people posted on the internet um, like different you know people at the time who were well followed like Jeremy has mental breakdown at iBeam and <laughs> It's like, I didn't have a, a mental breakdown. It was like a performance, but let me explain to you. And no one got the joke. No one got the joke. And then I realized it was a bad joke, yeah, too. Um, and that can happen. Um, and, and, and I, at that point, pledged that my persona would never be angry. <laughs> it would always be super positive, which you can see in my work yeah. has been really positive since then, even when I'm talking about difficult stuff, because people just don't like it. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there that um, I think, talking to people in person is so nuanced compared to talking online mm -hmm. I really refrain from any kind of discussion online uh, that's too serious because it just doesn't go anywhere but that's the lesson you know if, if you can do it in person that's fine but it's just online anything you say there's no tone of voice everything gets misread people read what they want to read yeah but then you get it's, this uh, you can have this negative uh, aura that surrounds you online as well so i what happened what's happened online and what happened to me in that physical moment is that the internet has become this really hilarious like there's two internets right there's the flame war internet right where people are just like evil like yeah and it's mostly like anonymous but like you know not anonymous the the political group but like just the people pepe that, the frog in and yeah like <laughs> there's that internet there's like the facebook comment thread like i can't believe those conservatives over there on the right like i can't believe those yeah. leftists right there's that kind of but then there's this like what the real internet actually is everyone being nice to each other and pretending to be nice when and not really saying what they mean right yeah so there's a, well there's also the thing that it, in general people take pictures of nice things more than bad things like Right. You take pictures of birthday parties. You don't take a picture when you have the flu. Yeah. That's just, ever since the camera existed, I think that that's the way it is. But 
then because we're constantly publishing that you get this envious thing where it's like whoa this person is having birthday parties all the time yeah and i think it what it builds up in all of us if we're performing ourselves is an expectation on ourselves to to be this positive force in the world right and which is not a bad thing in some ways you could i could actually argue that that's a, a incredible achievement for us as humanity but it's, it's it seems that when it's photos it's it's this positive thing and when it's text it's the flame war world well because you can only you can you have to descend into these depths because you're you're holding yourself up to such a high standard all of the time right <laughs> so eventually it just breaks right and the bottom falls out and i think if we all just chose the middle which is like yeah, I don't really know. You know, like if we just like mm-hmm. admitted, like it's really confusing. Like I don't really have an opinion. <laughs> like, and I think yeah, actually that's, that's your where I'm at. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of your become your position, and I can see that. My position is always like, you know, has been just politically about equality and equal access, and then I don't judge you within that space. Yeah, I, I, I saw your tweet about wanting to go to Ghost in the Shell, <laughs> not wanting to support racist uh, casting. Oh, m- man, the whitewashing of Asian America. That Like, Asia, like I think Asians yeah. have more to complain about in a lot of... Well, now I'm going to get myself into a flame war, but, like, I think Asian culture, I don't understand, because in Canada... It's not like it's that much better, but like it's mo- it's mostly an Asian country, I have to say. Like so, and in the media, they're, they're it's pretty reflective of that. But when you're in the United States, it's like thirty percent, I think, of the population is like Asian. That might be a misquote. But but how, <laughs> but they're how not would in the you media. have felt if how would you have felt if uh, in Japan or China they made a Superman movie, but the Superman was Asian? That would be really interesting. I mean, I don't mind that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. I mean, Superman was a Canadian, so he'd be like, "Yeah, that's multiculturalism. I like that." <laughs> uh, or he was inv- he was he was invented by a Canadian who was living in the United States. Yeah. To be fair. Anyway, we're off track. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I think that the core of of online presence is also that it's a big mess. So it makes sense that this episode would be a big mess. Yeah, it is. It's a big like it is a big mess, and we haven't talked about so much stuff like SEO and like advertising and positioning and like there's. That you're building your Success. building your brand. Well, I, I I do think that's an interesting thing to talk about. Um, what every person when they start out making art is they, they want to leave a mark and hopefully make a living out of art. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, fair. You want to be part of the conversation and you want to have well, a economic support. Well, you want to so do what you said, right? You want to continue to have fun and get paid for it, right? Like enjoy, yeah. enjoy. And your so life. I think for a lot of, I, I I don't think the early internet had that vibe. But now it's like, yeah, I should start a blog, and then I should buy AdWords, and then I'll. Uh, yeah, it's the professionalization of the internet. Like the the pro, yeah. even the amateur, like the person that's just a teenager is looking for a way that they can get their thread list. Like I had a conversation on Friday. I was like, oh, uh, with someone at work, and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna. What are you gonna do this weekend? Oh yeah, I'm uh, doing some new T-shirts. I'm gonna get them on Threadless. You know, I could get seven dollars a T-shirt. And it, uh, this guy, it was a gr- legitimately a great T-shirt idea. But the fact that he'd spend his weekend you know, coming up with t-shirts idea, ideas for Threadless, you know, is d- a different internet than, exi- it's a, it's a yeah. it's commercial the, the, recreation. The sad thing is that the, the, the margins are so low for the, the little users compared to the big Well, companies. that's what I wanted to say about YouTube, which is like, I've monetized the stuff to get the ads on there, but like, even when I was getting like tens of thousands of views a week, which is not the case because I'm not making as much YouTube content anymore, that's considered nothing, right, to YouTube. So I think the most I ever generated mm. in my uh, account was 10 cents. Now, I also advertise on AdWords, 
So I've generated 10 cents in revenue, but I advertise on AdWords now, and I spend over $100 a month advertising. Uh, <laughs> so the amount I've given back to Google like far outweighs uh, what they've yeah. returned to me. I, I, I made money off of Google Ads for a while, and it was kind of an accidental hack. Was this when you were working? Uh, yeah, you were really like working on commercial models for your presence online, right? Well, the, my, my whole thing was, okay, first of all, I want to make work for the internet, not put uh, pictures of work outside of the mm-hmm. internet. So I just started, and then uh, people started up sh- showing up in large numbers, much to my surprise, mm-hmm. because uh, I wasn't doing anything of the SEO rules. It was the opposite of that. So, oh, wow, there's a lot of people. And then people are like, oh, you should, you could make a lot of money off of the visits. And this was also pre-social mm-hmm. media. So I put some Google ads on some of the websites that had the most traffic. And... Um, it would have a banner at the top, but most websites you have a banner and there's a lot of other things to click on. But in my ca- one of the examples is I, I have a website, it's called Flaming Cursor, and you, you move your cursor around and there's a flame on your cursor. Mm. That's all that mm-hmm. happens. But people end up there by accident or by Googling something, and then they see an ad, and it's kind of the only thing you can click. Mm. So I had a really high click-through rate of like 5%, <laughs> right. when a normal Google click-through like, rate Google is like 0.01. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. But then they took it off because there was no text on the websites and it was considered misleading. But I, I made like, I don't know, four thousand dollars a month for three years or something. Wow! Wow! So that was really That's a fun. Lot. And then, yeah, hmm. my ten cents just is dwarf, <laughs> just evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really fun. But um, it, what I'm trying to get at is that all these ecosystems really dictate uh, your your. Uh, your content. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the so it gets creepy there, where, where uh, it, all these people who are like, "Oh, I should start an online presence, and this is the way of using Instagram. Yeah. This is the way you're supposed to use Twitter. This is the way you're supposed to." So they're telling you what you're supposed to behave. Yeah, like. yeah, and ultimately, it quite often that in, impedes upon your social rights. Like you know, women can't show pubic hair, men can, or like. Uh, well, that's pretty similar to... Th- there are laws outside as well. You can't walk around naked. Uh, you, you get arrested. Yeah, but I mean, like... I mean, in Canada, actually, the law is you can be topless. But on Facebook, you can't be topless, right? So... But can you be topless in a in a, in a hospital? I think it's only at the beach. No, no. Here in Canada, in any public place, you're allowed to be topless. Or at least in Toronto. Okay. Um, but... A friend of mine went to Burning Man, and it, it, everybody's naked there. And he said, there's a reason we have clothes on. Like, a, you really can't function with a lot of naked people around you it's too stimulated <laughs> okay well yeah i'm sure that there are some historic reasons for it i mean yeah and probably men are the problem anyway so the the uh, always. always the white man is always the problem okay we got to watch out because this is verging into conservative talk right <laughs> but uh the on, my, one of my concerns is on is is really youtube or google has really strict standards and I, making art advertisement art um recently like doing banner stuff it even has to follow a certain format. Like I have to have a button on there or it has to lead to a website mm-hmm. and the website has to have this type of content and da, 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 da. And so they start to like construct a reality, even for me, even if I wanted to do legitimately, if I wanted to advertise. So if we wanted to advertise our podcast and maybe we should start an advertising campaign to this effect, it would, our ads have to refer to certain standards. Like they have, there's a certain look, like they have to demonstrate a product or they have to have a button or they have to have a headline. You, we couldn't just put up a block of orange as an example. That's not allowed. Google mm-hmm. wouldn't allow that. Now you can try, and I've snuck yeah. things through. Uh, depends on who's like 
what human but being what do, is navigating what, this. Why do you think they have these rules? They have these rules to protect us against, you know, quote unquote spam or people that are trying to trick us, right? Um, so they have these, that's what they... Like misleading. Sure, saying, like, that's what they say. Click this, you have a virus. Or yeah, something. and brand and advertising has always had this, like, you know, all the way back to snake oil salesmen and stuff like that. But Do you remember that famous banner with the hit the monkey? Hit the monkey? Was it like a target practice kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, and it would have a cartoony monkey walking around, and it was very, you're like, he he was very uh, playful, so you really felt like, oh, I w- it was a gamified banner. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's uh, whenever you visit pirate websites like pi- Pirate Bay and stuff, they still have that kind of stuff. It'll be that or like you know penis enlargement online. Yeah, <laughs> online poker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like there are all those cliches, and you might like to make a series of artworks that are about that, and that would be fine. But if you wanted to make artworks that were nothing like that context it's actually quite difficult like those uh, refer to the standards that google likes you know like direct marketing standards actually which is quite funny because the art of direct marketing was basically you know written about by a few people you know uh and became the standard practice for um online sales but also obviously we're familiar with it before then through infomercials and stuff like that um and that style of advertising um, is supported and like upheld by Google, and and frankly, you know, you you're you're aware of the ads on the sidebar of like a Google search results, right? Those also follow the same sort of standards, right? And uh, it's this over optimization, and it's only a matter of time before people become blind to that, right? You hear people talk about ban- banner blindness or advertising blindness, and so I don't think. I think the end game is they're they're shooting themselves in the foot, but it's very hard to be creative in online advertising um, because of these rules in my opinion well i think nowadays you don't know what's an ad anymore yeah like so, i mean i mean and that's maybe also a point with online presence for artists it's like okay i'm i'm photographing my studio is that an well ad yeah that, is so, that so that's visit? what happened so the result was um advertising traditional advertising on the internet is pretty much dead in a way like pay-per-click advertising they call it and so the idea of content advertising over the last half decade or or more has become the norm and that is to create quote-unquote value for customers yeah well i i think of like i follow different i I started following different museums on instagram Mm -hmm. because it's nice to have some images of good works and most of them have some kind of cheesy form of gamifying it guess the artist Mm -hmm. or uh, we have a workshop and announcements and the only one i kept following I got annoyed with a lot of that the only one I kept following was the Met and they just show works from their collection photographed really mm-hmm. well and so it's very calm and uh, sometimes like one out of every 20 they might say there's a new exhibition no and I think that not even I think it's just it's just they're showing their collection and, and they've all is what a museum should yeah but do. they've also started to build their shows around the, the way they are shared online so like they'll come out with you know, and I'm sure you're you're critical of this as well, like a, a Bjork or Bowie exhibition, because they know that the general Oh, the Bowie exhibition was so great. Was it? What are you talking okay. about? All right. <laughs> did you did you see it? I in heard person? it was terrible, but I didn't go. So No man, are you crazy? I thought it was funny when people I the Bjork show I didn't see and I understand there's criticism, but the, the Bowie show was amazing. It was all his inspiration for each all his visual research for each mm, tour. Mm. So he would do a tour around space travel or kabuki theater or whatever theme there was, and it would just show this vast visual archive of posters and kimonos. And, and did you uh, share that back into the internet? Like, was that? No, I didn't. 
I usually sh- share like, details or small things. But that that's I what I'm, I'm just saying that like a lot of these exhibitions are built to uh, fold back into social media or back into the internet media. Um, did you? Did you wait? Did you see the Bowie show no, or not? I didn't. <laughs> You caught yeah, me. Yeah, I'm so sick of people criticizing stuff they haven't seen. I know, seen. I know. I'm a constant yeah. frustration to you. I, I heard it's really bad. Yes, I've heard so too. No, you're was, making a good point. I should have seen it myself. And uh, you know, yeah, it was an amazing show. Really, mm-hmm. top, top, uh, like maybe one of the ten best shows I've really? seen. Really? Maybe it was just the way yeah. they mounted it here in Toronto because it went on tour. No, I was, I was very upset with people criticizing. You can't put pop culture in a museum; it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then. I was like, did you see the Bowie well, show? Well, you know, people are critical of, um, just for a second here, you know that museum in Paris, La Gaîté Lyrique, right? Like, which their yeah. philosophy was really to mix pop culture and contemporary art. Um, but art people were very critical of that as like a dumbing down. They felt Dumbing down of, of art culture, I think. Um, I think there's space for a lot of kinds of art. So mm-hmm. yeah. No, I mean, personally, I prefer that. Like, so put Bowie in context with what was happening in art. Art is just one input. And I think outside of art circles, there's not very few people that think of art as a separate thing, right? They think of it as just part of the morass of culture. Um, the same mm-hmm. way, I don't really think of like opera culture very often, but I'm sure in opera, they're having like really violent debates right now about online advertising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, so. I, I think it goes back to... Uh, the everything being one or seeing it as a chore Mm -hmm. so if the met is like well we show artworks so instagram will show artworks that's like it's an extension of what it is and then you're not annoying yeah 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 okay yeah uh, what is our i think that the 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 the, the, (laughs) we to get to our good point the the mantra of of online presence should be don't be annoying that's our good point for the week (laughs) <laughs> don't be annoying I th- but then but then everybody stops being annoying and the one who's annoying then will be I don't annoyed. know just reflect your context that's my uh, my position which is like if you're doing something in the real world do it for the real world do it for for what it is don't try and connect it, it to a network of like social media have you have you noticed on uh, do you follow celebrities or do you mostly follow friends on, I on do there? a mix because I, I'm really interested in different cultures, so I like follow like a fashion okay. blogger, or I follow like a teenage like you know vlogger, or you know, I'll follow a friend. And when you say follow, that could be any social media. Yeah, like on different channels, I I, I usually have a cross section of different people. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we're kind of way over time, and we didn't really get to I think like a solid point. But online presence is obviously too large a topic, and we could probably break this up. It's just a big mess. Yeah, and there's some suggested topics that we should probably get to in future weeks. So thank you for people that have sent some. We've been receiving uh, suggested topics, and I continue to get really amazing notes from all of you. And I'm like, really, you got that out of this? <laughs> because I'm like. We don't really know what we're doing, and uh, and and a lot of times we're we're probably not doing a good enough job for you. So I, I go to bed <laughs> every night thinking like, how could we do better? And then I do worse the next time. Maybe we're trying too hard. I don't know. But uh, it is really nice to get messages from all of you. We're doing great. We're doing an okay job. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. You're doing a great um, job. No, but I know all of you out there, one of the really nice touching things is a lot of people have been sending their notes in to say like, hey, like your anxiety really helps me feel more calm <laughs> about, yeah. you know, the decisions I'm making and and the and some of the failures that I've had, but also some of my success. And Yeah, I mean, talk about online presence. I think getting emails is way nicer than uh 
comments in in some thread in a in a corporate ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Though I do respond to all the comments on uh, on SoundCloud. I noticed you never do, Raf. <laughs> yeah. No, I just like email. That's yeah. my thing. You're our email. It's guy. open, and it's uh, I su- I just support uh, the open standards. One day we'll have an email newsletter. We didn't even talk about email newsletter culture. That's another topic for. Ah, uh, yeah. Talk about flame yeah. wars. Uh, oh, really? Uh, we'll have to save that for another day. But what's our um, what's our, uh, our our ambient or field recording this week? Uh, yeah, someone sent this over Twitter. It was a direct link to a Dropbox uh, without any uh, explanation, but it's a recording of rain. It's a nice recording, and the, the Twitter name was Brian Unger. Uh, you you can add it in the show notes. So thank you, Brian. Mm-hmm, thank you. And we'll we'll listen to the sound I of rain. I love the sound of rain. Sunny day here, so I need a little more rain. <laughs> yeah, computer weather. Computer weather. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much. <laughs>